Hey church, welcome to Frontline Community Church Podcast. My name is Cody Mahaffey and I'm the connections and group pastor here at Frontline in Grand Rapids, Michigan. So our mission here is simple, to see zero people unchanged by Jesus. So whether you've been following Jesus your whole life or your journey has just begun, we hope that this message will help draw you near to the person of Jesus. Be challenged and encouraged by his word and be moved to action. We hope these next few moments are a blessing to you and equip you to see who God really is and who you really are in him. Well, good morning, Frontline. Good to see all of you. It's good to have you. If you're joining us online and watching or driving or traveling uh, or listening to the podcast later, it's just good to have all of you here. Happy Father's Day. Uh, to all the dads in the room. I know there's a lot of different types of dads in the room, so happy Father's Day uh, to biological dads, to foster dads, adoptive dads, stepdads, divorced dads, uh, grandpas, father figures. I mean, there's so many different versions and types of dads. So happy Father's Day to you. We're glad that you're here. Uh, But just like Cody was saying, we also know that today brings up, uh, sometimes it's not even just one strong emotion. Sometimes it's a couple. Sometimes there's other, there's other things that we bring into a day like today, like sadness, uh, like guilt, uh, like loss, shame, whatever that is for you, especially those that um, maybe lost their dad. Maybe this is the first Father's Day for you without your dad. Uh, maybe some of you even in the room or watching online, you desire to be a dad, and yet that hasn't happened yet. Uh, and that opens up a whole other set of emotions. So I, what I just want to say to all of you is I'm glad you're here. Uh, Even more than that, I think God's glad that you're here. There's no better place to be, in my opinion, on Father's Day than in our Heavenly Father's house. He just has something for you today. He, he has something for you every day. But, but especially on a day like today, you know, what's true is the only thing God really wants from you is your heart. He just wants your affections. Uh, That's why we worship. That's why we sing. It's why we're going to open up his word today. God wants a relationship with us. If you think about all the different roles that God could have chosen, uh, which he did. I mean, he chose a variety. He chose king, you know, like like God is a king and then God's a a creator. But then he also chose, God decided, I want to be a father. I want a relationship with my kids, and God has a lot of kids. So I I don't know about you, especially Father's Day. I have a four-year-old and a one-year-old, and uh, I have a different level of empathy for my dad now that I'm a dad. Is that true of anybody else? Uh, you, You get it better. You get it different. You're like, oh, okay. I had some unrealistic expectations. Uh, The idea of being a dad is far different than I would say the implications I've had uh, in being a a dad, not being a bad dad, but speaking of being a bad dad, uh, man, the last two weeks, uh, I'm on two strikes. You guys know what I'm talking about? Two strikes. My wife's a nurse. Uh, she works just about every Friday and Friday's my day off. So it's just me and the boys. And I'm a little bit in the doghouse right now because especially having a wife that's a nurse, my role as dad in this stage of life, granted, I know it changes, uh, but my role in this stage is to keep them alive until mom comes back home. <laughs> You, you remember that stage or you know that stage? Uh, I got two strikes right now because the last two Fridays, uh, both of them have needed medical attention. So one more and I'm in big trouble. So you know what I'm talking about? Being a dad's hard. It's different than what we thought, especially the idea of being a dad or the idea of being a mom is different than the implications 
of being a dad or of being a mom. And it's honestly a lot like the kingdom of God. I think most people like the idea of the kingdom of God, uh, but it's the implications of it that many of us have an issue with. It's the implications of the kingdom of God that actually open up a whole other realm of like, whoa, that's uncomfortable, that's different, that's not what I thought, that's not what I expected. The kingdom of God is often far different in reality than what we think in, in uh, maybe just in our minds or in our ideas of what the kingdom of God is or should be. The reason uh, we're talking about the kingdom of God is we're in this series right now, it's called Kingdom Culture, you saw the video about it. Uh, Jesus used a variety of different parables when he would teach people. He would teach his followers. He would teach his disciples. He'd teach large groups and large crowds. He'd teach in the synagogues. He'd teach out on the countryside. When Jesus would teach and preach, he would often use a parable, which is like a metaphor or a story to describe what the kingdom of God was actually like. And so the reason we call it kingdom culture is because the kingdom of God has a culture. It has a culture of its own and it is different than the culture that we are often used to. So the focus of today, or the, the parable that we're actually going to read today, it's called the, the parable of the divided kingdom. We're going to talk about division today. And before I even get too far, just maybe preface this or throw this out. Is there an area of your life that you sense division in right now? I mean, you look at our world, right? You look at the whole Russia and Ukraine situation. Uh, don't even get me started on politics, right? We're getting ready to ramp that train up again. So politics creates division, war creates division, money creates division, sometimes relational brokenness creates division, people groups and movements oftentimes yield division. I, I just want to ask you, do you sense division anywhere in your life, not just externally, but now let's get personal. Do you sense division anywhere in your own heart? Do you find your affections being split over anything in particular? Jesus, the passage that we're going to unpack together today, what you'll see is an external division that actually is a result of a very deep internal division into the hearts, not of people that don't have a relationship with God. Actually, what we're going to see in this story is a division in the hearts of God's people. And Jesus preserved this for us, preserved this story, because just as much as it was for them on that day, I believe it's also for us today. So we're going to read this together. This is Matthew chapter 12. Jesus is traveling around. He's doing ministry. He's with his disciples. And then this happens. Then they, they is the audience, the group, the people that were all out there, not the religious people, the, the people people. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him. I read this thing like five times, and I, I just scooted right past that. They brought him a demon-possessed man, uh, one that the rest of the world looked at, and they went, that guy's possessed. Like, not just metaphorically, he's possessed, we can tell. And, and, and look, he's blind, and he's also mute, and Jesus healed him. Now, what's the evidence? What's the proof of that? How do we know that Jesus actually healed this demon-possessed, blind, and mute man? So that he could both talk and see. The kingdom of God intersected with the kingdom of darkness, and it expelled it. It was gone. The, the, the response, the effect was immediate for all to see. And it says all the people were astonished. And they said, could this be the son of David? I mean, minds were blown going, what? who is this guy? That was amazing. The, these are not the religious elite people. These are normal, average, everyday people that saw Jesus and they saw Jesus 
intersect, right? Jesus, the embodiment of the kingdom of God, full of light, full of life. Jesus, when Jesus intersected the kingdom of darkness, darkness disappeared and they're blown away by it. We've never seen anything like this. Now here's the people that actually got upset in this whole situation. It wasn't the blind and deaf demon-possessed man, and it wasn't the people that were astonished. It was actually the religious leaders that had a problem with Jesus. Here's what, if we keep reading, it says, but when the Pharisees heard this, Pharisees would be the teachers of the law, the priests, the ones that are in charge, the ones that are in control, the ones that oversee the temple of God. When they heard this, they said, it's only Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. What? Like, imagine you're there, imagine you're watching, you see this man get dragged out, and then you see Jesus come over, and the, the kingdom of darkness is expelled from him, and he can talk, and he's in his right mind, and he can hear, and he's full of joy, and he's full of life. And the religious leaders, the ones who would have known better than anyone else what the Son of God is going to look like, what the promised Messiah is going to look like, what he's going to do, and what he's going to say, they would know all of that, and Jesus, here's the picture of it, and they go, that's gotta be spawn of satan you can laugh that's funny the religious leaders ascribed jesus ministry to satan why in the world would they do that I, i'm not even kidding i probably sat on this text for like a week until i could finally figure out what was it inside of them that would cause them to say to see in such an incredible miraculous healing and the casting out of a demon to see this man restored back to his right mind. You think about the implications for his family and for his children and for his neighborhood, for his, for his friends. You see, when he was brought back into his right mind, the kingdom of God intersected with the kingdom of Satan. Why in the world would the religious elite attribute that to Satan? And here, here's the conclusion I came to. I think they saw Jesus as a threat. I think when Jesus showed up and Jesus started doing the things that they used to do, but far more effectively, when Jesus would speak to large groups of people, but Jesus' groups were far bigger, when Jesus would cast out demons, he was far more effective than when they would cast out demons. When Jesus prayed for healing and for miracles and God answered those with healing and miracles, but they didn't see the same thing, I, I think it created this giant insecurity in the people of God. Jesus was a threat to their way of life, to their power, to their authority, to the things that they were used to, to the way that they had set up their world. Jesus was a threat to every part of their life in which they drew significance or security or value or identity. Jesus threatened it. And in threatening, in feeling threatened, they said, the only way to solve this is to divide myself against him. We're not on the same team. That's Satan. And all this work that he's doing, hey, people, I just want you to see all this work that that guy's doing, he's doing it in Satan. Pause. Do you ever feel like Jesus is a threat to you? I mean, do, you ever, do you ever feel like Jesus threatens something that you love, that you care about? that you value, that you hold deeply, I mean, that you, that you love. It's kind of like, Jesus, I'll follow you. I'll give you everything, but like, please don't touch this. 
please don't go after this. Please don't make me go here. Please don't make me talk to them. Please don't make me do. Is there anything in your own heart that there, there's some sort of a line, even if it's super faint, there's some sort of a line that you say, Jesus, please don't cross this line. Because when he does, the, the immediate response that we often feel, that I often feel, is, is threatened. That Jesus is threatening my way of life, my retirement, my family, my money, my, 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 my. What, what do you feel like Jesus is a threat to in your life? You know, before we go too far, I, I want to talk about this from Satan's perspective, okay? Satan knows Jesus is a threat. Do you know that? It's all throughout the Bible. Satan knows. Satan and Jesus know each other. They've talked. Satan knows Jesus is a threat. In fact, how the Bible describes our world, this world that we live in, is that this is Satan's dominion right now. That he's allowed to roam and run free, and he's, he's allowed to do, uh, to a certain extent, whatever it is that, that God may allow him to do, right? God, God always has the final say, but, but Satan has, has been given dominion over this world because this, because we're not robots, because we're not a computer program, God created in us a will, a human will that we can actually decide, am I going to pursue God or am I going to pursue Satan? Am I going to pursue the kingdom of heaven or am I going to pursue the kingdom of this world? We have to have a choice. And if we have to have a choice, there's one or the other. So if we ever feel threatened by Jesus, it makes you wonder, which part of this worldly kingdom am I holding on to? Satan knows Jesus is a threat. Here's, here's what I think. Satan, as, as you know, comes to, to steal and to kill and to destroy. And he does that through division. And I think if Satan knows that Jesus is a threat, the best thing he can do to destroy you is to convince you that Jesus is a threat to you too. That's just how he works. He's conniving, scheming, he's smart, he's tempting. His entire mode of operating in this world is how do I get you to see Jesus as a threat so that you don't give yourself wholly to him, so that you allow division to take place in the deepest part of your heart because if you're divided on a heart level, it is endless what Satan can do through that. So here's the religious leaders, right? They're struggling. God, he, he's... He's threatening my way of life. He's threatening my influence. He's threatening my income. He's threatening my power. He's threatening my identity and perception. Jesus is threatening everything. And it forces you to act and to say stuff that doesn't make sense like this. Now, I, I'll be super honest with you today, okay? I, I know exactly what that's like. I know what, exactly what it's like to feel like Jesus is threatening a part of, of your life or all of it. Uh, my dad's a pastor. I grew up in the local church. If you've been here at Frontline, you've heard me say that before. So I grew up in the local church. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I had a variety of different things I was interested in. Thought about being a doctor. Thought about being a lawyer. Maybe a helicopter pilot. Law enforcement. I, I had a whole plethora of things. I was like, I'd, I'd be interested in doing this. Guess what was not on that list? There was no part of me looking at my dad going, I want to do that. Why, you might say? Uh, there goes weekends. There goes every Sunday. I have an obligation. 
What about perception? Man, there's a perception. You know, people, people look at you different. They treat you different. They talk to you different when you have the role of pastor. It gets deeper than that. God, what about retirement? What about income? What about where I'm going to live? What about standard of living? God, I don't want to do this. I remember the day I gave my life to the Lord, I said, okay, God, I surrender everything to you. And, and that was the same day. It was the same moment that God said, great, I'm calling you into ministry. And I went, huh? That's what it was, total release, total surrender. And God goes, this is the direction that I'm leading you. Well, a couple years into ministry, this is a, f a few years back, a couple years into ministry, I remember thinking, maybe God's just punishing me. Maybe he's calling me into this lane because he knew I didn't want to. Maybe there was something I did that he's undoing or something I did that he, he's nailing me for or something. Maybe God doesn't want me to be happy. He doesn't want me to be fulfilled. He doesn't want me to pursue my dreams or my life or my, my end game. Maybe he doesn't, and that's why he called me into this lane. I have no doubt in my mind that he did call me to ministry. But here's the thing that I started wondering and I started questioning. Is Jesus a threat to me, though? Is all this stuff that I value and hold true to, is Jesus threatening that? So a couple years into ministry, uh, I had this wild idea. I was like, well, I was always interested in business. I was always interested in real estate. My mom was a realtor. So I started listening to a podcast, listened to a bunch of podcasts, right? Became an expert from my podcasts. And I went, I think I'm equipped. I'm, I'm going to go out and here's what I did. I, I, went, I decided I was going to start my own business. I was going to buy a rental property because, I mean, especially years ago, that's what everybody did. If you want to secure your financial future, that's what you need to do. And so I remember I, I shared with a couple different people from here at our church, people that I respect, people that, that had mentored me, people that, I, that I held significant spiritual influence. I remember coming to them going, I think I'm going to take a bunch of money out of my retirement. And they were like, what? And I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to put it over here. And one guy said, David, I'm going to be super straight with you. I don't think God's in this with you. Said it to my face. And I remember I felt it in my heart. He's right. And I said, well, you're the only guy that said that, so I think I'm going to go for it anyway. <laughs> Not even kidding. I went for it anyway, started my own business, bought a house, leveraged a lot of our, our family's income. I took this giant risk, and about nine months in, it was going great. I turned it profitable. It, by all measures of success, it was working. And in my quiet time, one day, here's what I felt like I heard God say. I wrote it down. I felt like God said, I'm not in this with you. I did not call you to this. I called you to ministry, and you need to be all in. Therefore, I'm out. And I remember there was this peace that I had that was gone. And it, it was almost as in sequence. I mean, shortly thereafter, it was like a machine gun rapid fire problem, 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 problem. And what started coming in was fear. It was anxiety. It was guilt. It was shame. I started looking and started running numbers going, I, I just cost my family a fortune. If all of these are true, if this pans out, my prayers turn upside down begging God, please let me out, please let me out, please let me out. And, and it was this long process of, God, I'm trying to let it go. I'm trying to sell it. I'm trying to get rid of it. I want to be obedient to you. And I walked around my house for months with a shell of a personality. I remember talking to my wife, Shannon, going, I'm so sorry I risked our whole family for this. I'm sorry I failed you. I'm sorry I let you down. I'm sorry I risked the boys. I'm sorry I risked our house. I'm sorry, I'm sorry I risked everything. It was because I had allowed division in my heart 
to take place. And when I opened up the door, I opened up the window, or I opened up the avenue for Satan to come in just a little bit, to go, maybe Jesus isn't who he says he is. As soon as I opened it up, it was amazing how it was such a pendulum swing from like, man, I feel like God's just with me and he's blessing me in the season because I'm being obedient to I allowed disobedience to turn my heart and my affections towards something else and it was like God was gone. That's what it felt like. Here's a question, okay, just for all of you. What's God called you to? What's God called you to right now? You know what a great answer is? My family. He's called me to my spouse. He's called me to my kids. Maybe he's called you to your career. Maybe you are called to real estate. Maybe you are called to be a doctor. Maybe you are called to be a lawyer or a helicopter pilot or a teacher. Maybe you are called to do those things. Here's the question that I have for you. Are you being obedient to the calling that God has placed on your life? Is God with you in it, or have you opened the door and cracked it open of disobedience to allow the threat of Jesus to take root, to start questioning, is he who he really says he actually is? Jesus was such a polarizing figure, and the reason he was so polarizing is because of this. He always said, you're either all in or you're not in, but it can't be both. You can't have a foot in both worlds. You can't do it. Look at Jesus' response. When he starts talking to the Pharisees, here's what he says. It says, Jesus knew their thoughts and he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. And every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he's divided against himself. How can his kingdom stand? Jesus is looking, but he's not talking to the external situation. He's not talking about the man that he restored anymore. Now he's talking about the hearts of his people. And he's saying a divided heart can't stand. A divided marriage can't stand. A divided family can't stand. A divided nation can't stand. Jesus is looking at them and he's saying the heart, it matters very much in the heart. If you're divided or if you're united, Satan came to steal and to kill and destroy. And he does that through division. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it to the full. I came to seek and to save the lost. Everything Cody was just saying, Jesus established unity, established a relationship, but he said, you can't have me plus that. It's either all Jesus or no Jesus. And here's how it it ends. And if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges, but if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. There's a moment, I think, in everybody's life, sometimes it happens multiple times, where the kingdom of God intersects with the kingdom that you have decided, or the kingdom that you've created, or the kingdom that you've followed, and you have the choice to decide which kingdom am I going to be in. I tell you what, I sold that house, I got rid of it. I said, God, I'm so sorry. I barely broke even. I I was prepared for financial ruin and I barely squeaked by. And I came back and I went, God, I learned. I won't do that again. You know why? Because I was cheating everything I was called to. I was cheating my wife. I was cheating my kids. I was cheating you, this church. I was cheating so many other things that God had actually called me to. What is God calling you to? What is he calling you to? Is your heart solely and wholly devoted to Jesus or is it not? 
There is no middle ground. So Jesus, right? We, we talked about parables. Jesus used parables to describe this. So I'm going to warn you. I'm about to read you the parable that Jesus told his audience, right? Giant scene. Everybody's wondering like, oh, he just burned the Pharisees. Teachers of the law. What? I mean, it's like this scene where it's like, what just happened? And then Jesus tells this parable and you, you walk away going, what? So let me read it to you. Okay, here's the parable. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. Whoever's not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. Can't you picture Jesus going, glad it helped. And he just walks away. Do any of you get confused by that? Or is that just a David thing? Okay, it was a David thing. All right, sorry about that. We'll just move on. I'm, I'm messing with you. Jesus tells this parable, and he's not talking about breaking into people's houses. He's not talking about a wrestling match. He's not talking about arm wrestling. He's not, he's not even talking about strength or strong. Here's what Jesus is saying to his entire audience right now in the vein of division, especially with God's people. What Jesus says to all of them is this. There is a man that is named Satan, and he is strong. His house is the kingdom of this world, and we are all in it. Jesus says, if I want to plunder that house, I must first bind up Satan, this strong man, because I am a stronger man. And what I intend to do, this is Jesus talking, what I intend to do is plunder the, the, the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of evil, the divided hearts, what Jesus plans to do, and he says it to everybody in parable form. He says, I am plundering the kingdom of Satan one life at a time. First example, the man who is blind, deaf, mute, demon-possessed. Jesus goes, plundered. Kingdom of God intersected with kingdom of Satan, and it drives it out. What Jesus is after is an undivided heart, an undivided heart that is submitted to God in everything, wields the kingdom of God. That's in every relationship, every family, every workplace, every city, every context. A heart that is undivided before God wields the kingdom of God and it brings life and wholeness and restoration and peace and forgiveness. It brings in the power of God. Anything less than that does not. Jesus looked at his audience, looked at the group of people and said, are you in? Are you in? Jesus knew what we all knew, boil it down this way. It says, it's a divided heart dies. A divided heart dies. If we polled the medical community and said, how much of the human heart can you divide and take out and remove until it dies, what do you think they would say? Why would you do that? The kingdom of God is just the same. You, you can't allow part of your heart to live over here and then the other part for Jesus. Jesus wants the whole thing. Here, here's why I, I share this, right? All of us have something that's broken, something that's divided, something that's not well in our own lives. And I thought, what a fitting message for Father's Day because we actually have a father who looked at his kids 
looked at his sons and his daughters full of love and grace and mercy, and he said, I'm not going to leave them to their own devices. I'm not going to leave them to their own decisions that lead them to destruction. I'm not going to leave them to their own division. I'm actually going to call them to myself because it is only in his kingdom that dead things come back to life. It's only in his kingdom that divided things become one again. That's the calling of the local church. That's the calling of every one of us. And it is, I'm going to pivot here and talk to just dads for a second. It is the calling of you, dad, to wield the kingdom of God. As you step into brokenness, to step in as a representative of your heavenly father. See, being a good dad is not measured by, was I a better dad than my dad? The measure of success for fathers, especially today, but it's been true of all time, the measure of success as a father is do you represent your heavenly father to your children? That's how you know. And many of us in the room, I'll go first, don't measure up. I sure don't. But what an opportunity that every one of us has today, this week, this month, this year, to begin moving in the direction of brokenness and division and pain and loss in our own lives as a representative of the kingdom of God. So let me ask just a couple quick questions here as the band walks up. It goes like this. Is there a relationship that needs to be healed in your life? Are you stepping into it as a representative of the kingdom of God? Is there a bad habit that needs to be broken in your life? That you need another man to come alongside of you as a representative of the kingdom of God to help you defeat that? Is there an apology that needs to be spoken today? Where Satan would have it pushed off one more day, one more hour, one more month, whatever it is, push it, just not quite yet. Is there an apology that needs to be spoken or a conversation that needs to be started that can bring unity to a place that Satan has created division for decades? Dads, is there a place that you need to step into? Is there a wrong in your city or in your context that needs to be addressed as a representative of the kingdom of God? As we close, uh, I wanted to do something a little bit different today. I I just wanted to ask all of the dads in the room to stand up. And so I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to ask you right now, all of the dads, future dads, expecting dads, father figures, grandpas, single dads, divorced dads, biological, foster, adoptive. If you're a dad, if you desire to be a dad, if you're longing to be a dad, the reason I'm having you stand up uh, is because you represent the kingdom of God to your children. And on this Father's Day, the model that has been set before us is our Heavenly Father who wants nothing from you other than 100% of your heart. So what we thought we would do today is just close with prayer because you have what it takes. You have what it takes to represent the kingdom of God, to represent Jesus himself to every person in your family to every person in your neighborhood, to every person in your workplace, to every person that you engage with, they could experience the kingdom of God if your heart would simply be 100% owned by Jesus. Would you give it to him today? Jesus, when he went to the cross, he created the opportunity for us to repent, 
to turn, to come back and to say, God, I may have screwed it up. I may have gotten it wrong. I didn't do it right. I created brokenness. I created the division. I bring guilt and shame and sin and brokenness. And God says, just come to me, my child. And he trades that, just like we talked about earlier. So let's pray together because you have what it takes and our world and our families need you to represent God everywhere. Sound good? So let's pray together, shall we? God, we just come before you right now. On this Father's Day, Lord, we're just reminded of you as our Heavenly Father. We're reminded of what you did for us on the cross. We're reminded that you chose to be a father, that your word even says that you adopted us into sonship and daughtership of you. You, you, You've not just called us friends, but you've called us heirs. You love us, that you desire us, that you have actually sacrificed everything and given everything to have a relationship with us. God, what we just pray for right now is that your Holy Spirit would just fall in this place, that it would fall on the hearts, on the shoulders, on the minds of the men in this world and in this room that call themselves dad. God, we know what you've called us to is not perfection, but what you've called us to is obedience, to unity with you, to a life of surrender, to steward the kingdom of God to the areas of brokenness, pain, loss as a representative of the kingdom of God. So Lord, I just pray over every man that's standing right now, every man that's listening, watching online, who is a dad, uh, Holy Spirit, give them exactly what they need today to do what you've called them to do. Would you bless them as your ambassadors? Would they wield the kingdom of God strongly, carefully, and powerfully? as they represent you to those that are closest to them. We love you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, amen. Awesome. The rest of you, go ahead and stand up. Let's worship our heavenly father together. We hope this message encouraged you to know who God is and who you are in him. If you want to take a next step, visit frontlinegr.com slash next. We look forward to connecting with you there and we'll see you back here next week.